Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Speaking of Green. I am your hostess, Beth Bond, curator of Sustainable News at Southeast Green. And we are thrilled to have uh, Kim Ironman with us this morning. Kim is the founder of Eco Beneficial, and she is an environmental horticulturist specializing in ecological landscapes and native plants. Kim teaches at the New York Botanical Garden, Brooklyn Botanic Garden, the Native Plant Center in New York, Rutgers Home Gardener School, and several other institutions. She is an active speaker on many ecological gardening topics, presenting at industry conferences, garden clubs, nature centers, Audubon Society chapters, beekeeping groups, and other organizations interested in environmental improvements. In addition to being a certified horticulturalist through the American Society for the Horticultural Science, Kim is a master gardener, a master naturalist, an accredited organic lawn care professional, a steering committee member of the Native Plant Center, and a member of the Garden Writers Association. So we are going to have a great conversation this morning. Welcome, Kim. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. <clears throat> Not only do you have like this list of things that you've achieved, you also won the the Silver Award of Achievement by the Garden Writers Association in 2014. So congratulations! Well, thank you, and um, and I was very pleased to be recognized again in 2015 for my podcast series, which I would uh, uh, encourage uh, your listeners to check out. And what is what is the name of the podcast? Uh, well, it's uh, if just go to my website ecobeneficial.com. And I have a podcast series where I interview other green thought leaders about topics um, that pertain to how we can improve the environment around us in our own landscapes. Super. So for anyone who's listening live, um, don't forget you can join us in the chat room if you have a question for Kim, and we will entertain all questions. Um, but let's let's sort of get into the meat of this. So, I mean, clearly you're a horticulturalist. Um, many of my listeners already know that we have a severe issue with uh, pollinators uh, and bees, which, you know, sort of falls under it. But we normally, we, we talk about bees, but we forget about butterflies and, and other pollinators. Mm-hmm. Tell us, you know, and most people are like, well, what can I do? I don't have a farm. I can't, you know, not use. Tell us what people at home can do to encourage the propagation of uh, pollinators. Sure. Well, I'll um, I'll just point out that I actually started this um, this movement called uh, the Pollinator Victory Garden, recognizing the uh, victory gardens of World War II. Remember those? Mm-hmm. You know, we probably mm-hmm. all learned about them in our history lesson somewhere. And so during World War World World War II, excuse me, um, Americans were encouraged to plant food gardens. Uh, to protect our food system, basically gardens for food defense. And about 20 million American households did so. And it made a big difference in terms of being able to feed ourselves. So with the uh, decline that we're seeing in pollinators, both um, honeybees as well as native bees and other pollinators, um, I'm arguing that we need a new type of victory garden, one that supports pollinators. And so the principles of this... um, you know, are uh, outlined on my website, but, uh, you know, just a quick uh, quick look at some of the things you can do. <clears throat> First of all, start to uh, reduce, or if you're bold enough, even eliminate what I call the green desert, your lawn. 
it's an ecological wasteland, especially for pollinators, and yet we have so much of it throughout the um, the United States. Um, it's been um, uh, indicated by um, scientists to be the largest single irrigated crop, <laughs> defined as a crop, in the United States. So we put more pesticides and fertilizers and irrigation on our lawns um, in, in aggregate um, than farmers put on their crops. It's amazing. So that would be the first step to start to reduce that lawn in favor of plants that support pollinators. Well, and I have to tell you, thank you so much for that thought because, you know, I've spent a lot of time around this this topic and I've never heard it succinctly put that way or sort of the the gross aggregation of what we do for our lawn, even those of us who'd like, you know, don't use pesticides and stuff, you know, and basically manage weeds, you know, I, you know, there's no reason why I, I couldn't do more to help uh, pollinators. What are some, you know, I mean, the United States is, you know, large and lots of different right. areas, but are are there some things that anybody can do in regards to um, helping, you know, pollinators in regards to planting? Absolutely. And um, so if you're going to replace lawn, so the natural question is, well, what the heck do you replace it with? So in thinking about this, realize that different types of pollinators are active at different types of year. They all, all come out at once, and we have many different pollinators. So typically folks are thinking about bees. Well, um, bees are really, really important, as we know, um, but there are many other animal pollinators and uh, those include things like beetles. Surprising, but they're our largest group of pollinators on the planet. Um, things like flies. Not all flies are pollinators, but there are quite a few that are and are important for those plants that rely upon them. And we have even um, things like wasps. Um, people are afraid of wasps, but here's the, uh, the, the little secret is that most wasps are solitary and really not um, problematic and many of them deliver um, some pollination services. And uh, butterflies, probably people's favorite, well, they're really beautiful, but they're not very good pollinators. Because the way that they are designed anatomically, they really just don't pick up a lot of pollen when they go from flower to flower. So first order businesses think beyond bees. We want to support bees, but we want to support many other pollinators too. And different pollinators like different plants. Now, Succession of bloom is key to this. We want to make sure in our landscapes that we have plants that are in bloom from early spring through late fall. And in temperate parts of the country that never get cold, we really want a sequence of bloom year-round. So that's something to really keep in mind. So here we are. We're just getting into spring. Start taking an inventory of the things that are in your own landscape the spring flowering trees and shrubs, what's in bloom? Are pollinators going to them? Then start looking at things that, that come up in the summertime, early summer, midsummer, late summer, and then into the fall, and then beyond, again, if you're in a temperate part of the country. And look to see where you have gaps and start planting for those gaps times of year where you have nothing to support pollinators. Well, and that's interesting because, you know, we always just think, well, it's spring and summer and, you know, and I guess some people have fall. Um, we don't really think about mm -hmm. blooming fall. We think of blooming, you know, hay fever, but, um, <laughs> but well, you know, that would be the winter is dormant. <laughs> right. Right. 
So, I mean, you know, for those of us in the southeast in particular, I mean, we really can support something that blooms all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, a camellia bush, of course, is, you know, sort of a classic southern flowering bush, but um, I think a lot of people don't um, have those anymore. So that might right. be something they can add because they bloom at Christmas. <coughs> well, there's there's another point um, that comes up, um, as you're mentioning, camellia. So uh, best practice in terms of supporting pollinators and supporting our ecosystems that we have in our landscapes. And P.S., guess what? If you have a home and a yard, you've got an ecosystem. You may not want one, but you've got one. So best practice in supporting that ecosystem and the pollinators within it would be to favor plants that are native to your region and appropriate to your site. Why is that? Because evolution really does matter. Many of these species have um, evolved with our native plants and depend upon them. Now, some some pollinators are generalists and can use many different plants, but those plants in turn might be doing something else in your ecosystem. So start to emphasize native plants. And um, for listeners who aren't sure where to uh, where to start with that, um, I would point them to the Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center, Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center website. They have a native plant database, and you can search that database um, by your particular state and by the type of plant that you might be interested in. Are you looking for a perennial? Are you looking for a, a tree or a shrub, etc.? And they actually have um, special lists of um, plants that are of value to bees, both um, native bees and honeybees. So start there to try to get a handle on what's native to my area and when does it bloom. Well, and that Lady Bird Johnson, she actually has inspired a lot of southern highways. And, you know, oh, yes. Depending on mm-hmm. what time, they're just stunningly gorgeous. And there's a section of I-20 that's um, west of Atlanta when you're heading out to Alabama, and they planted it, I'm pretty sure they're poppies. And, like, in August, there's just miles and miles and miles of, of poppies along the um, along the, the center of the highway. But I think that's one of the things that they don't think, you know, they think about the center of the highway. But we should have pollen, you know, we should have flowering plants on the, the sides, too. And I know that we've got a highway called the Ray, which is a section um, heading down 85, where they're going to be planting pollination down down mm-hmm. the side of the, the highway, not just the center. And um, this is, a, again, a really good point that you raised. So um, a lot of us are very used to seeing Asian and European plants and landscapes, and the poppies certainly are not, are not native plants in the United States. So really start to get a handle on what, what evolved here, what supports our native species. Um, and find some substitutions um, for the um, the stuff that you see for sale at big box stores, just and without even thinking about it. So honestly, it's it's kind of a new way of thinking. Like, how can I be a better steward of of the environment in my own landscape? And um, gosh, it's pretty empowering to to know that small changes that you make in your own yard can make really big environmental differences. Now, that may sound sound like a very bold statement. But uh, keep in mind that I live in uh, suburban New York, 16 miles north of midtown Manhattan. And I live on less than one-fifth of an acre. And over the last 20 years, I've planted things that have drawn in um, pollinators, birds, etc., that were not here before, didn't come before I planted certain plants. And that's a really powerful thought. If you plant it, they will come. 
you also can look at things like urban environments, like New York City. It's astounding how many pollinators um, are found on New York City rooftops where they've been planted. So don't think because you have a small yard, you know, or gosh, maybe even just a porch um, or a patio that you can't be impactful because you can. Every little bit counts. Well, and that whole idea of every little bit counts, that you're preaching to the choir here at Southeast <laughs> We are all about small changes that, that reap big results. And um, so I, I love, we are kindred spirits in that because I do think that people, I think it's overwhelming. You know, save the polar bears. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, you know, what can we do to save the polar bears? But, you know, hey, you know, plant a plant. Hey, that's easy. Everybody right. can do this. Remove so some that, of that green great desert. Advice. Yeah, remove some of that green desert. Start planting some native plants, trees, shrubs, perennials. Try to reflect the ecosystem that's around you. So, you know, if you're in, if you live in the Sonoran Desert area, you're going to have a different kind of landscape than somebody like me in New York or somebody like you in the Southeast. So, reflect the natural areas around you. That would be really important. And then another key: skip what I call the secret sauce. Skip the pesticides if you want to support pollinators. This is absolutely essential. Pollinators, um, many of them are in in pretty serious trouble, uh, including the European honeybee. And if we can stop using pesticides in our own landscapes and start to tolerate a little bit of damage, we're going to really support pollinators. Now, that that can scare people because they think, well, gosh, what happens if um, I have a lot of damage? What do I do? Truth of the matter is, it's been estimated that about 90% of the insects in an average home landscape are either beneficial or benign. So what does that tell you? That tells you that a healthy landscape actually supports insects. It's nature in balance. It's not eradicating insects. Um, Bringing in enough of nature's predators, beneficial insects, to keep the pressure of some of these um, pests, like Japanese beetle in my area, down. So it's nature and balance. Skip the pesticides, and even some organic pesticides can be quite lethal to pollinators. So really know what you're targeting, why you're targeting, if you're using any pesticide at all, and try to focus on something that is is what I call narrow spectrum, you know, focuses on the problem as possible. And if you can, skip the pesticides. I've lived in my landscape for 21 years. I've never used a pesticide. There you go. It can be done. Well, right, and I, I, what did somebody... One of my lawn people can. I, that sounds so grand. It's not. We we basically manage weeds in my household. So, um, but they they recommended that I get something to take care of something particular in the yard, and I got. I should. I I know better because I read food labels all the time, and I think mm-hmm. people need to read. You know, the gardening labels too. Yep, um, absolutely. I got home and it's like, don't do near streams. Kills fish. I was like, I took it back. Right. I took, Yes, yeah. and tolerant. But so, tell us some of the things because the, of course, organic fertilizers that hurt pollinators. I want to know what. Tell us what to look for or well, to avoid. Pesticides here, and you know, fertilizers. Um, if you have healthy soil, if you're focusing on bringing up the health of your soil with organic matter, not disturbing the soil, you really don't need to um, be adding um, fertilizers. Now, of course, all those companies, I won't name them by name, who depend on your, your dollars to, to buy a whole bunch of those products, um, they want you to think that you absolutely must have these things in order to have a successful landscape. And it's just not true. Now, having said that, if you've got a big old lawn, lawn does not want to be here. 
One is um, it's c- consisting of different grass species that are non-native, and they're really not very happy in our landscapes, and they require a lot of inputs. They require a lot of um, fertilizer, a lot of sun, a lot of water, and of course, a lot of maintenance. So if you're going to have a lawn, yeah, you're going to have to do a lot with it. Um, but why not start to think a little bit differently and um, start moving the lawn back and plant some uh, native plants? Now, a very successful approach, <clears throat> excuse me, for those of us who are, are a little bit more relaxed gardeners or don't want to do as much work, is to think about incorporating a small meadowscape or prairiescape. What is that? Essentially, you're looking at natural meadows that consist of prairies that consist of grasses and native perennials. Those native perennials do a lot to support pollinators. The grasses are a structural component both above ground and below ground. But you're taking that idea of a meadow or a prairie and essentially reproducing it on a small scale in your own landscape. You can have a little pocket meadow or prairie. Um, you don't have to have like a big one-acre, um, enormous landscape that's a meadow or prairie. So think about that. And that relaxed look, <clears throat> very easy to maintain. You cut it back once a year, typically in early spring, and you will be astounded by the number of pollinators that will show up if you garden that way. So that's just one tip. Well, that's awesome. So basically, don't even worry about reading the labels. Just skip it all. And uh, more that's about what I strategic do. planning. Yeah, yep, okay, that's, that's great. That's exactly what I do. And I try to um, plant not only plants for pollinators, but plants for beneficial insects that um, feed in some way, shape, or form or um, prey upon um, some of our pest insects, most of which, by the way, come from somewhere else, some other country, um, and have no natural predators when they arrive here. Um, So boosting that balance, encouraging nature's predators and nature's pollinators is really um, a way to get nature in balance. And giving up this idea of perfection in our landscapes is super important. Now, I see pictures of um, houses for sale, and you'll see a lawn that is so immaculately mowed that folks managing uh, professional golf courses would be envious. To me, this is a sign of excessive fertilizer, lots of pesticide use, etc. To me, this is like a really negative picture. Most folks think, oh, isn't that beautiful? But honestly, that perfection is the enemy of environmental health. So is it a, a crime, is it horrible to have clover in your, in your lawn if you're going to keep lawn, or dandelions? Absolutely not. In fact, those are probably the only plants that might exist in your lawn that will support pollinators. It's <laughs> just really pretty astounding. So, Which is great because I have plenty yeah. of dandelions and violets. Yeah. I have violets in my yard. Violets, yeah. not so much for um, for, they're they're more attractive to butterflies, but the dandelions and the clover. In fact, years ago, um, probably a couple generations ago, when grass seed was sold, it included uh, clover seeds. Why was that? Because clover actually it's it's a European weed, but it's um, beneficial to bees. But it's a nitrogen fixing plant, and it's able to actually improve the soil around it. So you'll often see clover popping up in areas where the soil is pretty lousy. Um, So, you know, I I would prefer to encourage folks to plant native plants versus just letting clover and dandelions pop up in your lawn. But if you're going to have a lawn, get a little looser to support pollinators. So 
I mean, it's sort of because there is sort of this move. Because I mean, the other thing is, is it's not just the actual plants. It's you know, the air pollution. I mean, you know, uh, lawnmowers are completely unregulated. They are right. terrible polluters. Um, they have people have no idea, especially in the South where we're mowing all summer long. Um, and and then know, followed up by those. Then followed up by gas blowers. I'm sure gas blowers are just uh, as popular there as they are here. Also right, contributes right. to uh, pollution. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so let because I I do have quite a few dandelions. I'm sort of like wow because I you know I'm not I am not going to be the gardener. I'm just that's not me. Um, I love the idea of it. I love the idea of being wealthy enough to afford someone to be the gardener. But it's just right. It's not going to happen. Um, so if I mean if I plant if I just went out and sowed clover, I mean my neighbors will think I'm nuts. And I know I know from experience, you know, when you mow weeds, it actually looks like grass anyway. But if you if you sowed clover, right? Um, I mean, when would you when would you cut it? Well, keep in mind what I said earlier, which is we're looking for a succession of bloom from mm-hmm. early spring through late fall or in temperate areas year round. So. You know, unfortunately, um, relying upon a single plant species isn't really going to work. We really think okay. to think about multiple species that are in bloom at different times of year. So what would I do if I really didn't want to garden and I didn't know what to do, but I wanted to be more ecological? Well, um, I would uh, start by looking at the Ecological Landscape Alliance website and see if I could identify um, professional members who are in my area. That would be one first step. Or NOFA, Northeast Organic Farming Association, has an organic land care um, program where people are certified. Both of those organizations, by the way, I happen to be a member of, and I can really speak to um, as being really excellent organizations with excellent members. So take a look and see who is available in your area who is landscaping differently to support the environment and hire them. And ask them, how can I start to transition my conventional landscape into more an, more of an ecological one. And instead of thinking perhaps about like sowing clover, think about, okay, I'm going to designate this area of, gosh, I don't know, 20 by 30 feet. And that's going to be my pollinator meadow or my pollinator prairie. And you can start that, your landscaper can do it for you, start it by seed or start it with little plugs, small plants, or even more mature plants, depending on your budget. And um, like I said, it's super low maintenance after it gets established in a couple years and uh, gets cut back once a year. I can't think of an easier way to have a landscape than that. That's awesome. That is great advice. And I was going to ask you, so, I mean, even if you just have them come out and look at the uh, or send pictures, I mean, they don't have to come out. Yeah. That's really yeah. a green way to do it. And just, you know, give an hour consultation with some ideas. That exactly. Exactly. Helpful. And that, that's one of the reasons I started this virtual landscape consulting, because I've got questions from people around uh, the nation asking me, well, what do I do in my landscape? Here's some pictures, and, you know, what are your suggestions? And, uh, you know, I would say nine times out of ten, it's about starting to reduce the lawn and starting to include native plants, but there's a method to this. You've got to get the right plant species that are appropriate for your site. And if, if you're not interested in learning about that, you really need to rely upon, you know, a trusted professional. And that can be tricky to find. It's getting easier. It's getting easier, but it's still, you know, you've got to go to organizations. Um, on the West Coast, Oregon Tilth 
is a counterpart to the NOFA right. organization I mentioned here in the East. So go to those organizations and see, take a look at their member list. All this stuff's online. And um, find a professional person who can help you. And if you're having trouble with that, then join your Native Plant Society in your state. It doesn't cost very much. You know, we might be talking about anywhere from 30 to $50 a year. And ask the folks that run that Native Plant um, Association um, for a list of suggested uh, professionals, um, and you can make some headway there too. So right. you know, once you get a good resource, you're in, you know, you're going to be in good shape. Right. And well, if you Ken, like the are... garden, even better. <laughs> right, exactly. I wish. My grandfather was the gardener, not me. Um, well, we are almost out of time, and I just want to thank you so much because this has been so incredibly helpful, and I know uh, my listeners in particular will really appreciate this advice. Um, let's give your website again um, so people sure. can get more information. Yep, it's www.ecobeneficial.com, and my name is Kim Ironman, E-I-E-R-M-A-N. And if you have questions after hearing this interview, please feel free to email me, and I'll be happy to answer them. Great. Well, Kim, thank you so much for your time once again. We really, really appreciate it. And um, we were talking before you got on air that you'll be coming to Atlanta, and I hope we'll be able to hook up at that point. Well, super. Well, thank you so much for having me, Beth. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, I guess the good news for me is is that I don't use any pesticides. I I drive lawn men crazy, but I just I, I the watering too. Right? I mean, I mean, I, there's just so many things to consider about your lawn. You know, it's not just the plants. It's you know watering and the air pollution from maintaining the lawn and things like that. So I really appreciate Kim's expertise in bringing those things to light. Um, we thank her so much. So um, just a reminder: Southeast Green um, has an incredible wealth of information on all kinds of topics, and from you know from home to business to community. And we are available uh, 24/7 online for you to peruse and and look at things. If you're looking for things for your home, we've got a tips and facts section, and we have what we call the greener life. So there's all kinds of things for your home. We're going to be signing out with Jeff Hicks and the Heretics, Life's a Peach, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next, sorry, having you hear us on the next episode of Speaking of Green. Oh. One more thing really quickly. I am broadcasting live on Periscope now. If you just follow at Beth S. C. Green, and we're talking about home lifestyle tips on Periscope too, check us out there. Okay, here's Jeff Hicks and the Heretics.